This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. Hey guys, Joey Mathis here, and I have Jimmy Sexton, a longtime friend, colleague. Uh, he's in the world of international tax, and we're going to demystify offshore banking and offshore doing business offshore and when that stuff makes sense. So first off, welcome, Jimmy. Thanks for having me, Toby. Excited to be here. And uh, where are you sitting today? Like, in what country is it? Sitting in Vienna, Austria today, but uh, headed back to Dubai tomorrow. Yeah, so Jimmy spends all this time working with, how do you say it, affluent taxpayers throughout the globe, making sure that they understand the difference between different jurisdictions and taking advantage where they can. Is that a fair statement? That's a fair assessment, Toby. All right. So what I want to dive down into is for our U.S. folks, and they hear about going offshore and how great it is, and they can move all their money offshore. What's the reality for those folks? What types of different taxes do they need to be aware of? And uh, does it work that way? So look, I mean, the U.S. tax code has pretty much taken most of the advantages that you can get from going offshore away, right? So there's not a big tax advantage amount in, in terms of how much taxes you're going to wind up paying by going offshore. Usually the advantages that you're going to get by going offshore, for example, are going to be, say, heightened asset protection or access to different markets that you wouldn't otherwise um, have available to you. Yeah, but, so you're not, you're not doing this to avoid U.S. taxation. Like when, when, when people hear that, hey, you can move your money offshore, you don't have to pay tax, that, is, that a, is that just a bunch of garbage? That's just a bunch of garbage. <laughs> I mean, those days, those days are long, long gone. There are some instances where there can be some tax savings going offshore, right? Like if you're partnered in a company and you don't own more than 50% and the other 50% are, are foreign people, you know, then you can defer income within the foreign company, for example. So that might be advantageous to doing something offshore or, you know, with some more complex structures, you might be able to get a, a, a little bit of a lower current tax rate. But for the most part, you know, there's no advantage going offshore from a tax perspective anymore. Let's dive into that for a second, because then you also have FBAR regs and you have all these penalties that can hit you if you don't disclose. So so let's just say U.S. taxpayer, they, they hear one of these folks and they go like, let's go offshore. We're going to go to the Cook Islands or we're going to go to Dubai. They set something up and they move, they put a bunch of their money offshore. What are the taxes that are going to hit them? So, I mean, look, it, it, it depends on the structure, right? Because as you well know, being a tax expert yourself, you have uh fiscally transparent entities like disregarded entities where essentially everything just flows through to you. And then you have entities that are viewed as sort of taxable entities by, by the U.S., right? They're not transparent. So let's say, for example, you put your income into a foreign trust, right? In that instance, the U.S. is going to continue to tax you as if you still own those assets. So whatever income those assets generate, you're still going to have to pay taxes on, on those in the U.S., depending on what character it is, right? So cap long-term capital gains will still be taxed as long-term capital gains, qualified dividends as qualified dividends, interest as, in as ordinary income, so on and so forth, right? What I think people oftentimes make a mistake, right, is they'll invest through an offshore company and they'll either think that, hey, that income is, is going to be sheltered in that company until I take it out, which, which also is, isn't the case, right? So that, you know, they, they instituted this tax called the guilty tax, there's basically two regimes that are out there. There's the guilty regime and the subpart F regime. And both of these seek to tax the profits of a foreign company to the U.S. shareholders, right? 
So if you have an offshore company that's more than 50% owned by, by U.S. shareholders, if that company is receiving passive income, right? So rents, royalties, dividends, interest, then that is going to be taxed to the individual U.S. shareholder, regardless of whether they receive it. And anything that doesn't fall under subpart F is then going to get hung up in guilty and be subject to tax there, right? So anything that's not subpart F income winds up being guilty income. And for individual shareholders, both of those are going to be taxed at the you know the ordinary income tax rate. So there's not a, a lot of benefit for, from a tax perspective. Yeah. So I set this up. I set up a corporation. I go to the UAE because I heard that it's really low tax or, or almost no tax. I, I make some money over there. I think I'm being super smart. And it doesn't matter. It's I leave it over there and I'm thinking, that, oh, I'm so smart. And your accountant's going to say, hey, you got to treat it just like you received 100% of it here in the U.S. Is that right? That's, that's right. And if that foreign company had to pay you know, foreign income taxes, which you now have in, in Dubai at 9%, it's your U.S. income taxes on top of the 9%, for example, that the UAE company would have paid. Ooh, do, do you get any tax credits for that at all or? Uh, you can, right? I mean, and then this is another mistake you see people make a lot, right? Is so in most Dubai companies, you can do a check the box to have it treated as a disregarded entity. If you do that, then you can take advantage of the 9% paid by the Dubai corporation to offset your US tax. You can use it to get a foreign tax credit for it. But if you don't do the check the box and elect for it to be a disregarded entity, then the 9% is just gone. So you get 9%, then you also get the, 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 whatever your ordinary, is it your personal ordinary rate or is it the corporate right. rate? No. So it, it is your individual rate by default. There is election, an election you can do under 962 to be treated as, so that you as an individual can be treated as a, a corporation for purposes of this tax, which would allow you to only pay so basically corporations if they own foreign corporation if they own a, a foreign corporation they get a deduction for 50 percent of the tax rate they pay right so if a corporation owns a foreign corporation the u.s corporate tax rate would be 21 percent on the profits of that foreign corporation but they get a 50 percent discount or 50 percent deduction right so they're effectively only paying 10 and a half percent the difference is when a corporation takes dividends out of a foreign corporation they don't pay any additional tax because if they own 10% or more of it, you have 100% dividend received deduction. But as an individual, you'd still have the tax when you took a dividend out, right? So usually it's better to check the box and take the foreign tax credit rather than being taxed like a corporation for that purpose. And depending on the country, the the, the tax credit is going to vary, right? It could vary from 100% to, yeah. to something less. So if you take the foreign tax credit as an individual, and you check the box, right, to make your foreign corporation treated like a disregarded entity, then you should be able to use 100% of that foreign tax credit. If, however, you elect to be treated as a, a, a corporation for purposes of the guilty tax, you can only get a deduction of 80% of that foreign tax credit, right? But then the dividend that's paid out of that foreign company, you don't have to pay tax on in the U.S., if you're that company, but if you take it out of the company and you give it to yourself, then you're just going to be taxed as a what is an ordinary dividend. Yeah, well, I mean, if you take a dividend out of a U.S. company, ordinarily it would be a qualified dividend, right? So oh. a maximum of twenty percent. So it's your long-term capital gains rates. Yeah. So the uh, so the aggregate tax, then uh, you're you're not completely you're not blowing this your, your doors off. You're if you don't check that box, you could be doing yourself some serious harm. It sounds like you're at like a 
your ordinary rate. Plus, you might get hit with another tax over there if you check the box. Maybe, maybe you get a credit, and uh, maybe you're 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 uh, not getting completely shellacked by it. Maybe you're looking at up maybe thirty percent. But yep. So the other so the other thing that you have to think about is is the foreign reporting that you have to do, or the U.S. reporting you have to do with regard to your foreign activities, right? So the U.S. has a slew of what they call international information returns that generally need to be filed with your personal income tax return, or corporate income tax return. Some of them are separately filed to basically disclose all the stuff that you're doing overseas, right? So if you don't check the box with regard to a foreign corporation, you'd have to file Form 5471, which is a super complex form, right? I mean, it's 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 really long. The calculations to calculate all this guilty and subpart F and all this stuff, very complex. Whereas if you check the box and you're a disregarded entity, then you'd file Form 8858, which is a much simpler form, right? So to me, in most cases, checking the box and being taxed a disregarded entity in, in terms of foreign corporations is usually easier and results in, in slightly better taxation. But one thing I, I didn't mention that I would mention is for both of these subpart F and guilty, which you know are, are the, the two sections of the code that you know, seek to tax the foreign profits of a foreign corporation to the U.S. shareholders, is there something called the high tax exception, right? So if a foreign company is subject to foreign income tax of at least 90% of the U.S. corporate tax rate, then you don't have to pay this guilty or subpart up, meaning basically you can defer the income within the foreign corporation until you take it out, right? So I think if I remember correctly, 90% of 21% is like 19.6%. So if you're running a company, again, this is this is going to be helpful for people out there that are like, hey, I, I do overseas transactions. What's my requirement? Am I going to get tripped up? This isn't for the people that are like, hey, I'm going to move money offshore and protect it that way, which, which Absolutely. I, I would caution against. But let's just say that it's that's the case and they're in a country that's charging the same as the U.S. or more. So this, in, this, in, isn't, this isn't going to hit them. Like the guilty tax doesn't smack no. them and bring it back in the U.S. and make it taxed at ordinary rates. N not at all. So, you know, those people sort of have a little bit of an analysis to do, right? Because if they don't check the box, then because they're subject, because the foreign corporation is subject to an income tax, same as the U.S. is, they wouldn't have, they, they would have no income attributed to them, right? So they wouldn't have any U.S. tax until they took an actual dividend distribution out of the company. Yep. But you but you still need to analyze it to see if that makes sense, right? Because the foreign corporation is paying the income tax, and then you're paying income tax again when you take it out. Whereas if you had checked the box, you could take a foreign tax credit for the foreign income taxes paid by the foreign corporation. Hey, so you just have to run the numbers to see whether it's better. Like I suppose that if you were in a country that was a higher tax regime, you're better off just taking the tax credit, right? In my opinion, for most U.S. people, whether you qualify for this high tax exception or not, if you're an individual, if you're a U.S. individual, yeah. it's almost always best to check the box if you can, right? I mean, you have a list of per se corporations on which you can't check the box. So it's not always possible. But um, generally, for individuals, it's going to be better to check the box. And for foreign corporations and for U.S. corporations that own foreign corporations, it's generally best to not check the box. Now, let's say that you're a, a U.S. company uh, or an individual and you're doing business overseas and you're going to Europe, you're going to uh, the Middle East or whatever, even uh, Ch uh, China, Japan, the, the Far East. 
and you're driving income, is it ever just better just to have a U.S. company and say, for, forget it, I'm not going to mess around with all these foreign jurisdictions? I mean, imagine that there's going to be withholding in some places. Hey, I was going to pay your company, but I'm going to make it. I'm going to make you pay tax here too. Like if you're if if you're working in a particular country that does that, and you might have a withholding, they might they might never give you the money. They just give, give it to the give it to their taxing authority. But is there ever a situation where it's just better? Hey, I'm just a U.S. company, and I'm just going to leave it that way. I mean, I, I think absolutely right. I mean, look when when they did the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act back in 2017, they introduced this thing called FDII. This is foreign derived intangibles income. And basically, you know, I mean, it's more complex than this, but in, in short, it says income derived by a US company from abroad is only subject to 13.125% corporate income tax rather than 21%. So, you know, a lot of times, especially when you factor in all the complexities and costs of, that the US company would have to file with regard to, you know, its foreign subsidiaries or whatever. And the compliance risk of being audited and penalized for potentially not have filed those correctly or having made a mistake. You know, if you just do it through a U.S. company, the income that's derived for, 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 for services that have been provided abroad, even if they're provided from within the U.S. to customers abroad, right? So it's what, what they really look at is who the paying entity is, right? So if it's a, a foreign company, you're generally going to get that, that lower FDII rate. I think that's a huge benefit, right? Yeah, so you could be getting the thirteen percent rate on certain types of income. So I could be going around the, the the globe. I could be doing my business overseas. People could be paying me from overseas, even if I'm residing in the U.S. Right, regardless of whether I travel around, and that income is going to be taxed at the corporate rate of thirteen point one two five. This is not individual, right? This is corporate. This is a C corp, yeah. U.S. LLC taxes a C corp, U.S. C corp. And uh, it's just going to pay a much lower tax. And then if if I want that money, then it's going to give a qualified dividend to me, which would be taxed at my long-term capital gains rate. Correct. And, and what I would add to that, Toby, is that, you know, you don't even have to be running around the world, right? I mean, if, if you're sitting in, I mean, it's, it's even possible in certain instances that you could be sitting in the U.S. doing your work in the U.S. for a client located abroad. And that that's still subject to thirteen point one two five percent. What what types of things are, are are covered underneath that? Like, do you have any guidance there? I mean, look, most most services are going to be covered under that, and in some instances, even products that are sold to to for to foreign customers. And this is primarily because prior to twenty seventeen, people just would keep the money offshore and not declare it in the U.S. And the U.S. got zero income, so they basically said. Hey, we're going to give you a reduced rate here so that you bring it back in the U.S. and we're not going to mess around. Were there any large taxpayers that took advantage of that? Or are there any things where you've seen practically companies changing the way that they were doing business to report more in the U.S.? Um, absolutely. You know, I mean, I, I, I mean, some of my own clients, you know, really scale back their their offshore structures and because it just, they just weren't necessary. And I think probably the biggest one is is Google, right? I mean, I, I think Google made an announcement, if I remember correctly, that they were unwinding their entire offshore structure because it just didn't make sense anymore. Yeah, and they, and I know that Amazon's still fighting the heck out of the, the, uh, the European Union. I think they just won a big They just won, they just won a big one. And I mean, Apple won a big one against the EU too. Yeah, everybody's kind of like the EU wants a PCU, the United States wants everybody wants a PCU when you're a big company and they they see you as a revenue source. So this was kind of the olive branch. So the Trump administration said, hey, uh, we want you to pay something instead of doing nothing. Yeah, you have a big incentive to do all these elaborate structures to avoid 
overpaying, but here we're going to, we're going to knock it off by about a third and, and, and please, please go ahead and pay that. And then please reward your shareholders and, and pay them so we can tax that too. Yeah. I mean, I, I think with, 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 uh, Trump's tax cuts, I think there was essentially two olive branches, right? One was this FDII and mm-hmm. the other one was the hundred percent dividends received deduction, right? So if you, let's say you have a U.S. company that owns a hundred percent of a Dubai company, right? So the Dubai company is going to pay 9% on, on its, on its income in Dubai. The U.S. company would have to pay basically 10.5% guilty tax on the profit of the Dubai company. They would get an 80% foreign tax credit, again, you know, of that 9%, right? So they'd get to use 80% of that to offset that 10.5% guilty tax. But then when they eventually take a dividend out of that Dubai company, there's no tax because there's 100% dividend received deduction, right? So those were kind of the, the two major olive branches you- Came you're still paying like 80% of the nine is is 7.2. So you still have 2% plus the 10. You're you're still around that 11, 12%, 13% yeah. range, right? So they kind of made it to where there's some parity there, exactly. um, which is really interesting. Like again, I, I I always find this stuff fascinating. Uh when I especially when I have clients that are pushing, 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 hey, I don't want to pay tax in the US. I'm gonna move offshore, I'm gonna move this over here, I'm gonna move this around there. And it's like it doesn't work that way anymore. It's it, no. I mean, I mean, I, 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 I think, I think the, the movies sort of, you know, make it sound like you can just run down to the Cayman Islands and set up a company in the bank account and avoid a bunch of tax, but you know, that's that's not the case. Yeah, not anymore. Hey, the uh, let's talk about some of the, the 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 unspoken ugliness that occurs when you move the money offshore. The big one is that FBAR reg. Uh, what what have you seen there as far as people? Uh, oops, they didn't report the ten thousand dollar or more of value. I mean, look, I think with I think there's a bunch of stuff with the FBAR that, that makes it a lot more complicated than it seems on the surface, right? So first, a lot of people think it's just bank accounts, right? So the, the FBAR is bank and other foreign financial accounts. So, you know, that means like life insurance with cash value. If you had money in an escrow account, I mean, if, if you had potentially a security deposit on an apartment, like all of those things could be considered a foreign financial account. And especially since, you know, FATCA became law, you know, I think back in 2010, the FBAR has become a much more, knowledge about the FBAR has become much more widespread, right? So the IRS is really not taking a, a very friendly view of people who fail to, 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 file, to file it, right? So, I mean, the penalties can go up to 50% of the account balance that's unreported. And if you've looked at any of the recent court cases that have come out, I mean, there's even one in front of the, the Supreme Court, maybe even more than one, where you know, basically, there's a reasonable cause exception, like with most penalties, right, where if you can prove that your failed to file was, was willful, you should get out of the higher penalties, you might be subject to the non willful penalties, but you can avoid the higher willful penalties. But I mean, when you look at some of these facts, I mean, you know, I mean, with the with the courts are deeming willful, I mean, it's almost impossible to have it ruled not willful. They're just hammering. It's like half the account value per year, right? So yeah. So there's like there was a gal multi million dollar account. I think she inherited it or something, and they were hitting her for you know half the money. I mean, and, it, yeah. and it's per year, so I think it could be actually more than. Could it be more than 100 percent of the account value? Yeah, I, be- I believe so. Well, listen, and I mean it gets even worse. So so that that lady you're talking about, right? Like, if I remember the facts correctly, like one, you know, she was an immigrant. She mm-hmm. was like in her 80s, and she was still preparing her own taxes with forms that she got from the library by hand. And I mean, she just had no idea, right? And then she was still 
ruled to have been willful. No, I I had a client. He uh, sold a condo in Canada, and they left some of the money sat in his in an account that they used to pay the mortgage up there. So there was uh, it was like seventy thousand bucks, and uh, yeah, IRS hit him. It was uh, it was if I remember right, it was thirty some thousand dollar penalty on on that account, and uh, you know he took an amnesty on it. So like he wasn't going to yeah. sit there and fight it, and and said, hey, I'll just. It actually was, I think it was twice. I think they gave him a 25% penalty instead of the 50%. And, uh, you know, you're like, okay, I'll take it. It was like really a sad situation when you're looking like, this is just so punitive. But it is because in the past, people would move money offshore and they're not reporting the income. It was that that same sense that they like to pull. All right, last one is people trying to run offshore. Hey, I'm going to do an offshore structures. You know, I'm going to put, you know, X dollars offshore so nobody can get it here in the U.S. I mean, we've all seen the cases where they grab people, throw them in jail, or they take their U.S. assets. But what's the reality as far as like maintaining these things, what they actually have to do for compliance? Because foreign compliance is way more difficult than U.S. compliance. Like this Corporate Transparency Act, everybody's freaking out about. That's been around like for years in Europe and other, other countries. What does it actually look like cost-wise, time-wise to actually run something effectively overseas? So a few things to say on that. So, you know, first of all, I mean, the, the typical structures that are used to protect assets overseas are foreign trusts and foreign foundations, like not charitable foundations, but statutory foundations that are kind of like incorporated trust. And a lot of the foreign countries do have stronger asset protection laws than the United States has, right? Like a non-recognition of foreign judgments or very short fraudulent conveyance statutes and statutes and all kinds of stuff like that. The, the issue is that I think a lot of Americans sort of fail to recognize is, and, and this is taxes aside, right, is they set up this, this foreign trust or foundation, but all the assets inside of it are still in the U.S., US yep. right? And as long as they're still in the U.S., the U.S. is going to have in-rem jurisdiction over those assets, and they're going to do whatever they want anyway. So if all the assets are in the U.S., you know, just forget about going offshore. It's not going to give you any benefit, right? So in order to get the offshore asset protection benefits, the assets need to be outside of the United States. What, what if they do the drawbridge, right? They do this, hey, as soon as there's a creditor, we're going to move the money offshore. I mean, look, I think I think in practical terms, it doesn't work, right? So even, even if a court, let's say, like, even if you were to be faster than the court to act, you have to think about, and this is part of the realities of going offshore, you know, if somebody wants to hire you or or, or a lawyer, you know, another lawyer or something to do something in the United States, it's pretty easy, right? You go to them, you sign an engagement letter, you give them some money. In the rest of the world, you have to go through pretty substantial due diligence and know your customer to prove where your money came from, to prove your address, to prove all these things. So, you know, it may take you more than a month. I mean, most likely it could take up to 90 days to get through due diligence with a foreign trustee or a foreign company service provider to even be able to move the structure, right? So the only way you can even have a hope of something like that working is if you already have a backup structure set up overseas, you have everybody onboarded, and then you still got to be quicker quicker than the court. And then the other thing you have to be concerned about is if you're still physically going to be located in the United States, you always run the risk of the U.S. court holding you in contempt, right? And then you need to decide whether or not you want to just sit in jail for being in contempt and protect your assets or bring the money back. And I mean, that's another thing with setting up the offshore structure, right? Unless you're truly handing over control to an independent trustee that's potentially going to ignore a U.S. court order, if you're still in control, U.S. court's just going to hold you in contempt until you comply with with their order. 
And they do that all the time. Like that. I remember there was a case sure. recently that, you know, it was again, it was a gal. She was living off the money. The trustee just kept giving her money. The court said, you control that trustee, obviously. Yeah. And uh, you're going to bring it all back or you're in contempt. And uh, they just put you in jail if you don't do it. Yeah, exactly. And and, and then, you know, on, on top of that, you know, you have significant reporting with, with regard to foreign trusts and stuff like that. I mean, the, they're tax transparent. So, I mean, there's not going to have any tax advantage or disadvantage. But there's going to be a slew of filings you need to do. You're going to have to do a form 50, uh, sorry, 3520, 3520A, uh, potentially an FBAR. You're going to have to file potentially form 8938 with your with your individual tax return. So, so there's quite a bit. You're going of like this. Hey, <laughs> look at my exactly. return, please. I mean, I look, wanted to be examined. Exactly. I mean, in all honesty, I, I don't think I've ever had one of those audited. But that doesn't mean it, it doesn't happen. And then the other part of it is the cost, right? I mean, keeping these things going costs, you know, setting them up and keeping it go, going can easily cost 10 times what it does in, in the U.S. And I remember when I first got into to, to this business, you know, anybody that wanted to set something up, I was like, okay, set it up for them. And then I started noticing that, you know, a few years down the road, they wanted to shut it down because the, the cost in admin was just too much, right? So unless the assets in the structure are making more than enough money to cover the expenses of the structure okay. it's not worth it right because if you're if you're talking about maintaining an offshore trust with an offshore trustee for example you know you're probably looking at at least 20 grand a year yeah if you're doing it right if you're doing it yeah. right then maybe you get below that but but the reality of it is you need to have millions of dollars that you're parking and it can't sit in the US these guys that do yeah. the, the drawbridge I'm always thinking you know, exhibit A of the uh, of the plaintiff's lawyer when they're doing uh, collections is going to be the the marketing brochure of the company that says, "Look, we're going to have this drawbridge, and when there's a creditor, we're going to move it." It's like it's actually a textbook fraudulent conveyance or avoidable transaction. Yeah. Like, and then I think the lawyer will probably be on the hook for it too. We're actually seeing some of those cases come to fruition too. I just never understand it. I see people like unless, unless you have a reason, don't go offshore. If you have a reason to go offshore, then make sure you have good counsel. Because like Jimmy just put it out there, like I think you did a really good job of laying out that there's some complexities and it's not so, the same as the U.S. And you can make it as complex or, or take away as much complexity as possible. But at a minimum, if you are doing business overseas, you are going to be interacting with foreign countries, uh, taxing a, a, a authority. And it's bad enough to do with ours. Ours follows you everywhere. There's, they're just looking at the money you're making, but you're still, you're going to be dealing with multiple taxing authorities and multiple sets of laws, and they don't always play nice with each other. No, they don't. I mean, they don't, they don't always inter interact friendly. And, and I, I mean, look, I, I think you said it absolutely correctly. I think, I think the biggest mistake people do is they decide they want to go offshore and then they themselves run offshore and just go find some lawyer that can set up a company or a trust. You know, you really do need to get some expert advice and, and sort of explore how it's going to be taxed, how's this going to, you know, how's this thing going to, going to function? What, where are my risk points? What are the, you know, what foreign legislation and regulations am I going to have to comply with? And, and then decide whether or not it's, it's worth it, right? And like I said, unless you have significant assets that you want to protect and, and you're willing to do it right and you're willing to put the assets overseas, it usually doesn't make sense from an asset protection standpoint. And even if you're doing business overseas, a lot of times, as we were talking about with FDII, it makes sense to keep it based out of the U.S., I mean, a lot of times the only, it only makes sense to set up a foreign company if it's somehow required to access the local market, right? Or, you know, an, an investment opportunity 
won't allow U.S. persons to invest, so you need to do it through an intermediate company. Where you have foreign partners, and they want it in their group. Right. Uh, hey, Jimmy, I'm going to put your information into the show notes, and I'll put it up on the screen so people can find you. I would encourage you that if you are overseas or you have to contemplating going overseas, you talk to somebody who's actually knowledgeable in it. And Jimmy uh, was a U.S. attorney, but he's gone off into the foreign world and has been living in that world for years now. I, uh, I tr sometimes track him down in, uh, in any variety of number of countries. Uh, I just know that uh, Vienna, I see you at a lot. Uh, uh, what is it? Ibiza, I see you at. And then in, uh, and then in Dubai quite a bit. So if you ever go to those places, they can go have a drink with Jimmy. Thank you, sir, for, for joining us. And uh, thank you for actually making it clear. Thanks, Toby. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 